All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 144, and today we are talking about books being released on February 6, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Greetings. Hello there. I was like, is she there? Is she really there? <laughs> she is. She is. I am wrapped in a poncho and a blanket, so I'm oh. real comfy. I'm comfy. I'm ready to go. Don't fall asleep. Don't get, like, too comfy. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just cold, and it's, you know. Yeah. I'm also wearing slippers with Jack Skellington's face on them. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I saw a cute picture of a pug sitting next to somebody <laughs> with, like, realistic pug slippers yesterday. Busy pug. And it looked really alarming. I was like, I would be upset if that was me. I was about to ask, did the pug look, like, betrayed? <laughs> or, like, yeah, was, scared for its life? Yeah, it was kind of upsetting. Um, speaking of being scared for your life, let me tell you about my first book. I loved this book so much, and that was a great segue. My first pick is I Am, I Am, I Am, 17 Brushes with Death by Maggie O'Farrell. I know that I have mentioned a couple times how excited I was for this and it was worth it. Um, I, I did not know, because I read The Bell Jar when I was young and haven't since, that the title uh, came from The Bell Jar until someone pointed out to me a few months ago, um, the I am times three part. But Maggie O'Farrell, one of my favorite writers, she's written great novels like Instructions for a Heat Wave and The Vanishing Life of Esme Lennox. And this is her first nonfiction, or I believe it's her first nonfiction. This is a memoir written through tales of her near demise. It's like 17 close calls that she's had with death. Um, She wrote this for her daughter. Her daughter has a life-threatening autoimmune disease, and she wanted to show her, like, how it's, it's not that scary you know, to, to go through things like this. She's trying to make her feel better. Um, and it's it's very personal, and the writing is absolutely brilliant. Just amazing. She talks about how she escaped a killer. Like, she got away from this guy that she met on a path, and later on they were like, yeah, he killed someone later. And she was like, oh, my goodness. Um, she thwarted a deadly childhood illness. Like, she wasn't expected to pull through, and she did. Uh, she almost drowned once. Um, she had uh, complications giving birth. It's like 17 of, of these stories about how things could have gone much worse for her. And it's not like a complete memoir. It's not like, like it's a, you know, it doesn't sound like one and it isn't. It's not like, here I was born and then, you know, went to school and this and that and, you know, was in the ice capades. But it's it's more like snapshots of her life. And it's not sensational. It's not like you know, super gruesome or, you know, she's not, like, hamming it up for, you know, effect. She's, it's just straightforward, like, here are some close calls that everyone can identify with. Like, you know, maybe not, like, the serial killer or the, you know, whatever, but everybody has these close calls where they're like, oh my goodness, goodness, if I hadn't, you know, moved when I did, that piano would have fallen on me (laughs) or, you know, things like that, you know. And, like, how everyone makes bad decisions. Like, you're, she's talking about, like, here I am about to jump off this bridge. And you're like, this isn't going to go well, especially because I know what this memoir is about. You know, and you're like, oh, what are you doing? But she's she's really showing, like, the frailty of human life. Um, if you like Wild, I think that you would really like this memoir. It's not a, I burned my life to the ground and here's how I found myself. But more like, here are the bad decisions that I have made that resulted in these things, or here are bad things that happened to me and how I came back from these things. Um, It's just absolutely gorgeous. 
I loved it. Again, it's called I Am, I Am, I Am, 17 Brushes with Death by Maggie O'Farrell. Um, our first two picks here are paired quite nicely, which was unintentional because I put them in, in random order. Um, but my first book is also a memoir about death. So here we go. Uh, it's called Everything <laughs> Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It's by Kate Bowler. Um, Kate Bowler is a divinity professor at Duke. And she published a book a few years ago that was a history of the American prosperity gospel, um, which if you are unfamiliar is like a subset of American evangelical Christianity that the the basic tenet is that um, God wants you to be rich as in monetarily wealthy and God wants you to be healthy. And as an American Christian, those are your right. And if you are not both wealthy and and physically healthy, then you have done something wrong. most mega churches are proponents of the prosperity gospel. If you see a pastor driving a BMW, it's very likely that he's a proponent of the prosperity gospel because, you know, the way that you get to being rich is by giving the pastor who's promising you these things all of your money because that makes sense. Anyway, she wrote a history of that, and so she's really deeply involved in the history of the American prosperity gospel and that kind of thinking, and then she gets diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And she has, she's still alive. Um, she has stage 4 colon cancer. She's un- undergoing some experimental treatments she has a husband and a small son who i think is two or three but she's dying um like there is no she's not at the end of the experimental cancer treatments but at this point the treatments are how long can we how many more months can we give you not how can we get rid of this cancer um so she knows for a fact that she is actively dying right now And she wrote this book about that, about um, spending most of her adult life teaching and believing in this particular religion. She's not a prosperity gospel person, but she is a Christian. She teaches, she's a divinity professor, Um, but she has spent most of her adult life going to churches that profess this kind of thought process as research for her book and writing her book about the history of these ideas and then encountering this personal tragedy um, and kind of holding those two things together, like I am sick. I will not be healed. This is not, I will not be healed. Like there is no amount of giving extra money to Pat Robertson that is ever going to get this cancer out of my body. Um, but why? Like, but, but how do, how, how can that be true? And other people still think that that can be not true. Um, like what kind of foolishness are we willing to believe in order to feel like we have control over our lives? It's very much this interesting, like really, really sad, um, look at not just the act of dying, but the way that we like get stuck in the denial phase and then maybe a little bit of the anger, but mostly the denial um, and how, and it is, it, it is a book about religion and her own personal faith and how she does struggle and is continuing to struggle with the idea um, that she has done something personally wrong to deserve this diagnosis or that there is some sin in her life that she hasn't confessed that would, you know, cure her or heal her or whatever. And even while she's struggling with these thoughts, she recognizes them, recognizes them for what they are, which is, you know, kind of like basic nonsense, but she's, she's scared. And it's, she does manage to humanize, um, the prosperity gospel in that, you know, the, the reason why people believe that sort of thing is because, they're, they're frightened or like they have experienced some sort of terrible tragedy and are just looking for some kind of meaning. And if you don't believe that, where can you, where else can you find meaning? And so that's kind of what she's doing here is like, I don't think that there is a meaning in my cancer. I don't think God is trying to teach me something about his nature. And I don't think that, um, I'm, I'm sick so that I can 
you know, have a bigger platform and reach other people and help them. Like she doesn't think there's any greater meaning behind being sick. Um, but she wants to know why she feels like she should, you know, and like why we, especially in the U S have this kind of compulsive need to put some bigger meaning behind the bad things that happen to us. Because as Americans, we don't, and especially American Christians, we don't think that bad things should be happening to us. Cause like we are chosen. It's just really fascinating. She's looking at so many different aspects of living in America, being an American uh, Christian, being an evangelical American Christian. And even if you're not, which I am not, but I have been, um, like there's just a lot to chew on. Um, so that's everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved by Kate Fuller. I, I have that. I haven't read it yet. I, I have lots of feels lately and oh, just yeah. everything, yeah. you know, but I want to read that eventually. Definitely. So, um, Moving on to something lighter, uh, I took I took my pants off while you were talking, um, <laughs> it's, and then I felt bad because it was such a serious subject. But I forgot to turn the heat down before we started. So unlike you, I'm like melting in my office. It's so hot in here right now. Um, so yeah, I'm a bad person. But... Got liberty to take off pants. <laughs> Check. <laughs> uh, I I'm not gonna say anything else about that. Um, so I'm gonna tell you about our sponsor. Our first sponsor this week is Owl Crate. Owl Crate is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish funds straight to your door. It's perfect for bookworms. Each month they send out a newly released young adult novel as well as a whole bunch of fun bookish goodies to go along with the book. A lot of them are exclusives that they get from like Etsy suppliers and there's things from the authors. So like you can't find these things anywhere else. And it's a brand new hardcover young adult novel. And you get your bookish keepsakes, and every box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind, and also includes, like I said, uh, things right from the author. I'm getting ahead of myself, like, all excited, like, to tell you about this and, and repeating myself now. Um, but, and they also just launched a brand new box for younger readers. It's called Owl Crate Junior, and it's perfect for readers aged 8 to 12 or anyone young at heart. So, again, that's Owl Crate. We will have a link to them in the show notes, and we thank them for sponsoring. I want, like, all the subscriptions. Yeah, me too. Like, right now, I have a serious sticker subscription problem, um, which I'm going to have to pare down now that I've seen my monthly bill. It's like, they all, they all you know, renew every month, and now I'm like, that's a lot to spend on stickers. What are you using them for? Um, I use them in my bullet journal, and... At first, I was just hoarding them, like, because that's what I did when I was a kid. I loved stickers, and I was like, but if I put them on something, then I've used them, and and they're ruined. But then I was like, okay, now I'm not a kid, and I need to start sticking them on things. So I put them on (laughs) everything. Yeah. All right. My boyfriend, he's covered. Covered head to toe in cat stickers. Um, Well, that's how we like them. (laughs) Uh, Moving along, my next pick, excellent novel. So good. Um, if you loved The Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones, she has a new book, which I enjoyed even more. It's called An American Marriage. And I don't want to tell you too much about it. I know it sounds, <laughs> it's not like a mystery or anything like that, but I don't know. I don't want to give too much away. But it's about a young couple named Celestial and Roy. Uh, they've been married for about a year. They have a wonderfully complex relationship. These characters that, that Jones has written... They're so realistic in their emotions and their actions and, and their thoughts. Um, and then, so they're a young couple. They've been married for like a year. And something terrible occurs. 
Uh, Roy is accused and then convicted and imprisoned for a crime that he did not commit. And it's about what that does to their marriage. Like, Cele uh, Celestial is, like, suddenly she's alone. Like, she was, she married this guy, they've been together for barely a year, and now he's been put away for years, and what is she going to do? And she starts to rely on an old childhood friend more and more um, for comfort. And it's like, what do these people owe each other in those circumstances? It may, like, I know this isn't super related, but it made me think of Castaway. Did you ever see Castaway? Because I'm about yeah. to spoil, I'm going to spoil that movie for everyone right now. But at the very end, like, he's in a plane crash, and he's on an island, and everyone thinks he's dead. So the woman that he's supposed to marry marries someone else and starts a family, you know? And at the end, he comes back, and it's like, what is she going to do? Because she thought he was dead. And this is sort of like one of those, like, what are you going to do in these circumstances things? Like, suddenly, the man that you just married is now imprisoned, and you're no longer together. Um, their relationship is, is so fully fleshed out, and she's written... Two great, like, flawed, emotional characters who are allowed to show it without being over the top, without, you know, being judged by the writer or in a way that the readers would judge them. And it's not just about relationships, but it's also about racial injustice and our responsibilities as people. It's so fantastic. So fantastic. So I'm going to stop there. It's called An American Marriage, and it's by Tayari Jones. Okay, my next one is a twofer. Um, it is Winter Song and Shadow Song. Both are by S.J. Jones, and it's a duology. And I'm including them both in this episode because the paperback version of Winter Song comes out today, and the hardcover version of Shadow Song, the first release of the sequel, also comes out today. So if you are, um, you know, like Jeff, <laughs> Jeff O'Neill has O'Neill's uh, razor where he will not start a series until it's <laughs> all been published if that's how you feel both of the books are out now you can go get both um I love this series so it's not even a series duology I love this duology so much um it's kind kind of the trying to pitch it though is a little difficult it is labyrinth uh if labyrinth were a, a YA romance and had a little bit of low-key S&M stuff and <laughs> was also <laughs> took place in Bavaria in the 18th century and was about music composition. So just put all it's that like, together in a blender. It's like low, lowercase S&M. Yeah, like, like there's definitely a dominant submissive relationship situation happening in, in the love interest. Like, I'm not saying they tie each other up and beat each other up. I'm just saying there's, like, <laughs> definite, you know, one is in charge and one is not so much. Um, anyway, so the main character's name is Lysol. And in the first book, I can't tell you anything about the second book because it totally spoils the ending of the first one. So I will tell you just generally about the duology. Lysol is the main character, Bavaria in the 18th century. Um, and her parents are super talented musicians, but her dad is an alcoholic. And so the, her family is just trying to meet, make ends meet running this like inn in a village. And many of the villagers, including her grandmother, are still super, super like superstitious and holding on to like old pagan religious rituals. Um, and they very much so believe in the existence of the Goblin King and the underworld and that goblins and fae um, and, you know, changelings and these supernatural creatures cross over out of the underworld into the land of the living and have to like be subdued with, you know, salt and sacrifices and things like that. Um, and so Lysol, whatever, like she, she's focused more on, on her, her brother becoming a famous violinist because he's an amazing musician and about composing music and like eating 
putting food on the table. Like she's not concerned about all of this kind of stuff. But then her sister, who is a little bit younger than her and is just is like beautiful, is like the beauty of the village, right? Um, is kidnapped by the Goblin King. And she realizes that everything that she thought was like just kind of garbage nonsense is true. And she travels to the underworld to rescue her sister. So you're seeing the labyrinth kind of thing that's happening here, except there's no baby. She's like 17. Um, and she goes down into the underworld to rescue her sister and agrees to, in exchange, uh, I will stay here and sacrifice my life and stay with you if you let her go. And so then their relationship, the relationship between Lysol and the Goblin King kind of grows from there, um, based mostly around music composition. I know nothing, nothing about music. Like, I like Beyonce, you know, like I have no real knowledge about what it takes to write a song or composite classical music, nothing. But like so much of this book is about the passion and the like heartbreak that goes into composing a piece of classical music. And like that is how their romance unfolds is through the songs that they're writing together or like writing at each other. Like she gets, on their wedding night, she has this massive like explosion of rage and she pours it all into like composing this song. It's just beautiful. Like the way that she writes about music composition is beautiful. And if you don't have any personal interest in how to make uh, like a song by Mozart, that does not matter. Like you will become obsessed with it after you read this book. Um, but that's winter song. And then the second one mm, continues, but I'm not going to tell you anything about it because then you find <laughs> out what happens at the end of the first one. I'm just saying, if you like that kind of like Gothic romantic, I feel like if you like, if you like Wuthering Heights, but would prefer it, if there were no domestic violence, then you would probably like this duology. Like Wuthering Heights without the garbage <laughs> is is this with music and supernatural stuff. So that's Winter Song is the first one, which is now out in paperback, and Shadow Song, which just came out in hardcover, and those are by S. Jai Jones. And they're gorgeous. They're so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. I I loved the first cover, and then I got the second one, and I loved it even more. I was like, oh, <gasps> they're so pretty. Fancy. <laughs> and speaking of pretty covers... My next pick is a memoir. It's called Heartberries by Therese Marie Mayu. And it is, ooh, it's a tough one. It's a stunner, but it's a tough one. Uh, Mayu grew up on Seabird Island Indian Reservation in British Columbia. Um, members of her family had attended the residential schools there in Canada, the ones that separated indigenous children from their families. And the kids ended up living in these horrible conditions. They were starved. It was just it was just awful. It's a really terrible spot in history that only ended recently. Um, there is a great novel called Black Apple that discusses that if if you want to read more about it. Um, but so she talks about like what her family has gone through and her own life growing up. It was, you know, she grew up in poverty and abuse. Her mom was never around and her boyfriends were terrible um but not as terrible as her father her father was an absolute monster so bad that her grandmother hired a hitman to try and kill him because he's just the worst and she ended up in foster care and right after she she aged out of that she got married um, and had a child and then um her life was not going well she lost uh, custody of that child and then had another child um and eventually you know, after all these terrible things that have happened to her, um, she had a breakdown and she was hospitalized and they diagnosed her with PTSD and bipolar dysfunction disorder. And they suggested that she write down her thoughts and her life. And she ended up writing, you know, this memoir and, and not just this memoir, but like 
you know, other things as well. It wasn't just this memoir. That would be amazing. Like, first try, this is this amazing book that I wrote. Um, but she kind of wrote through her pain and took control of her own story. And it's just, you know, this visceral, unflinching, like, look. Like, you know, she's not, like, making excuses for anything that she's done. Um, she's not making excuses for anything that anyone else has done. You know, she just is really examining her past and her family's past um, and how, like, your culture and its history and your surroundings, you know, influence you and how you grow up. Um, and it's also about forgiveness, like, forgiving yourself and forgiving other people. Like I said, it's tough. It's, it's, and it's very slim. It's like 140 pages, but it's just absolutely gorgeous. So again, it is called Heartberries, a Memoir, and it's by Therese Marie Mayu. Okay, before I get into my next pick, I'm going to talk about our second sponsor, which I love the title <laughs> of. It's called <laughs> F You Very Much by Danny Wallace. And this is a hilarious look at the rudeness that is all around us, where it comes from, how it affects us, and what we can do about it from the comedic mind behind the hit movie Yes Man. So obviously we're not just imagining it. People are getting more rude uh, from like cutting in line to talking on their cell phones while other people are standing in front of them and clipping their toenails in public transportation, which I have seen and that drives me nuts um, to like the rudeness we see in social media, uh, on Twitter and in real life, including like a certain president who maybe does a little bit of both. But the interesting thing about rudeness is that it's actually contagious. So the book examines how rudeness can spread and turns normal people into bullies or like you know, toddlers having tantrums or internet trolls, things that we have all experienced. And it's full of like really interesting facts about rudeness. For example, I love this. I love this so much. Uh, fact time with Amanda. So one rude comment, just one rude comment in a high pressure situation, like for example, a life saving, saving surgery decreases performance by 50% for doctors and surgeons and nurses who are working in life and death situations. And I find that like so bonkers and 89% of customers who have been treated rudely at a business, never go back. Like, just never. Oh, here's a fun one. The rudest people are between the ages of 35 and 44. <laughs> what? Right? Like, huh. And this, this one is the one that kind of irritated me. There was a 2015 study that showed that rudeness will sway a jury unless you're a woman. So when a male juror raises his voice during deliberations and uses rude language, other people are more likely to be swayed by his argument. But when a woman does it, other people are more likely to be swayed back to their original decision and to write the woman off as overly emotional. What? That's just bonkers. Um, so if you are at all interested in the, like, I don't even know, contagion of rudeness and how it is kind of spreading in our current um, societal situation, especially in social media, then definitely go check this out. Or if you just like random facts about society that you are going to text all your friends, then this is definitely something that you need. So go check that out. That's F You Very Much by Danny Wallace. Certainly has an unforgettable title. Certainly. Okay, my next pick is The Line Becomes a River by Francisco Cantu. This book was so fascinating. This is a memoir slash political examination, I guess. Um, Francisco is the son of, so he would be third, I think, generation Mexican immigrant. His mother uh, was the daughter of a Mexican immigrant and raised him in kind of like the desert scrublands of the Southwest. She was a um, park ranger where she works for the park service. So he grew up, you know, out in the desert on the border um, between the U.S. and Mexico. And it's just, that's like what he 
knows as a child. And so he goes off to college and studies international politics and international relations with a specialty on border policy. Um, so he spends all of these years studying the Mexican-American border and decides after he leaves college that he's going to join Border Patrol. And he thinks, like, I'm going to learn how these policies actually are enacted. I'm going to learn what life is actually like um, for the people who have to enforce these policies. Like, he approaches it in this very academic way. Meanwhile, his mother is like, you're joining a police organization that only exists to put our people down like what is wrong with you and so he's got like friends and his family that are like what are you doing um but he is just this like kind of naive guy coming out of college like no it'll be great i'll learn so many things and then he gets into his training and they're like oh wait no this is terrible um so he of course because he is now in border patrol spends his nights and his days tracking other human beings through the like blistering desert sun and the freezing nights trying to save who he can, you know, people who have been abandoned by their, by the coyotes that were helping them cross, um, like stole their food and water. And he were just like wandering through the desert trying to survive. Um, and then he has to, he has to like, he's trying to be, uh, like a, a human at these people. And so he tries to talk to them while he's driving them to the detention centers. Um, and eventually this life just wears him down. He starts having dreams that his teeth are disintegrating because he's like grinding them so hard. And then he gets transferred to an intelligence position. So he's not working in the field anymore, but he sees even more like violence, um, like drug cartel, really explicit violence, these people that he's supposed to be tracking and it just gets to him. So he eventually leaves um, border patrol, goes to work uh, in civilian life. And while he's, I think working at like a coffee shop, he makes friends with the janitor who is an immigrant from Mexico who, who, he know gets to know over a couple of years who then travels back home because his mother is dying and then can't be get back in the country. He tries a couple of times. He's stopped by border patrol each time. And so Francisco has to like do what he can to help this man who he knows who has lived in the U S for 30 years, who has children who are in high school here, but who is now unable to basically ever see them again. Um, and so it's, it's both, Man, I don't want to like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be judgmental of this guy who's like living this life I, I have never experienced and will never experience. But it seems like the memoir of a really naive intellectual discovering what real life is actually like um, surrounding like the theories that he finds interesting because he like kind of grew up sort of near them and maybe his great grandfather had to deal with them a little bit, but like the curiosity, I don't know. It's not a case of curiosity kills the cat because obviously he learns a lot and it's all interesting. And what he ends up doing with all of that knowledge is yet to be determined. But reading the memoir of a person of color whose family comes from Mexico working border patrol and like watching him come to the realization that it is not necessarily, um, Ooh, I'm trying to find like a diplomatic way to put this, that it's kind of a terrible organization. It's just, I don't know, like it's fat, it's eye-opening. It's like, how did you not know this? But also, how, how would I know? I've never had to deal with border control. I don't know. Um, so there's just so much going on here. It's so, it's multi-layers. It's an onion. It's an onion of a book. So that's The Line Becomes a River by Francisco Cantu. It makes me think, like it's it's not super related, but um, did you ever see The Three Deaths of Melchiatus Estrada? No. The Three Deaths. Oh, this whole episode is about death. Um, anyway, it's <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite movies. It's definitely worth checking out. There's, like, tons of amazing people in it, like Melissa Leo and January 
oh my goodness, I'm forgetting her last name, the woman from Mad Men. It's just this fantastic movie that no one ever mentions. But anyway, that's my, my non-book recommendation for the day. <laughs> uh, and now back to book recommendations. My last pick is Back Talk. Back to Back Talk. Uh, they're stories by Danielle Lazarin. This is her debut collection. I think, actually, it's her debut book in general. Like, yay, first one. Um, these are... This whole this whole episode is full of amazing amazing book recommendations. Good job, Amanda. Like these are all. I'm just feeling like, these are all great. Um, it is this one is a hard hitting pull no punches collection of stories about women. It's about their desires and fears and emotions, and they're all set in or around New York. But these stories have tremendous depth to them. Like you can identify with the emotions of her characters, even if you don't identify with their circumstances. And that's because she's done an amazing job writing them. Like, nothing unusual happens to them, um, and which I know you're going, what? Liberty only reads weird stuff, but I swear. Um, <laughs> and these are these are women from all walks of life. And it, they're stories about marriages and about having children and breaking up and getting divorced. And But she's, like, peeled an extra layer off these common experiences to bring more insight and, like, bring the reader honest emotions and actions. Um, there's a story about a married woman who has a lover. There's one about a woman in the final stages of her divorce. Uh, there's a teen grieving her mother who falls in love. Uh, there's a teen who is reuniting with her family after living with her father for a while. Um, and like each character is afforded respect. You know, like, sometimes I feel like you can read a book and... and the author is like, I have this really great idea for a story, but I don't really care about these characters so much as, like, getting them to where I want them to go. But, like, Lazarin has done an amazing job, like, showing how much she cares for her characters. So I'm super excited to see what she does next. Um, so, again, it's called Back Talk Stories by Danielle Lazarin. Okay, my last one is a new Tamora Pierce novel, which is, yay! Jazz hands. Um, it's called Tempest and Slaughter, and it's the first book in the Numera Chronicles. Um, I don't know how many there will be. Let me click on this while I talk and see if it tells me, and the answer is no. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, there will be at least two, so then the next one's coming out next year. Anyway, um, so this is a very Tamara Pierce kind of book, um, or even like early Ursula Le Guin. Uh, so it's about a young boy named Aram who is at magic school. And I feel like that's kind of all you really need to know about, like, if you have a thing for kids at magic school um, who are surprisingly gifted and so much better at magic than all of their friends and older people, like adults and maybe a couple of people in the government become very interested in their gifts, hmm, um, which is, you know, like, it's so tropey, it's, it's beyond a trope. But it's also a trope that I really, really like. So whatever. <laughs> um, so he is studying at the, he's the youngest student in his class. Because he turns out that he is so particularly powerful and doesn't know what to do with his, you know, his greatness. Um, and so he um, doesn't have a lot of friends because he's super young and all of the other kids are jealous of him. But then he eventually makes a couple of friends too. Varice, who is a girl um, who is super, super smart and really good at kind of domestic-ish magic. So like uh, anything having to do with food or cooking. Um, she calls herself a kitchen witch. And there, ta uh, Tamara Pierce makes a lot of really interesting comments using this character about how things that girls do 
are automatically looked down on, even though they're things that humanity needs to continue, like traditionally, quote unquote, feminine activities. Um, his other best friend is Ozorn, who is a prince of the realm, Who, but he's like seventh in line for the throne, except as the book continues and the kids get older, you follow him from like, I think, 10, 10 or 11 years old up until, you know, uh, late teenage, early adulthood. Um, every heir to the throne dies or like disappears. So by the end of the book, Ozorn is very, very close to inheriting the throne and everything about their relationship and their friendship has kind of changed. Um, and so Aram has to decide and Ozorn has become a little bit obsessed with like avenging his father's death. His father was assassinated by a particular ethnic group in the kingdom. And so Ozorn has become like very uncomfortably obsessed with cleansing the empire of this of people from like a particular ethnicity and Aram is uh as you can tell as the book comes to a close having to figure out if his loyalty to his friend can withstand that kind of bigotry it's very interesting I mean it's a book about three people and their friendships right and about you know the tropey thing of like boy and magic in school Harry Potter kind of stuff um but Tamara's books I think are always more overtly political than a lot of um like magic fantasy school books tend to be. And this one is not different. And I know that Tamara, uh, Tamara Pierce has had a history of saying like some kind of goofy stuff online, but the things that she talks about online that she's not into, like she says weird things about diversity in books and things like that, but her books are like really diverse, <laughs> including this one. Almost every character in the book is brown. There's a lot of queer representation on the page. So whatever. She like oddly walks the walk, but can't talk the talk. It's very strange, but the book is great. I really enjoy it. So that's Tempest and Slaughter by Tamara Pierce. I've never actually read her yet. Still, yeah, I've never read her yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I still intend to. I intend to read like everyone all the time. But actually, when I received that book, I dangled it in front of Jen, and she was like, "Ah!" Yeah, so I, I sent it to her instead. So you know, I used to like watch TV and like read books and be like, "Ugh," you know, like. Like, I'd watch the X-Files, and I'd be like, every single person has been murdered by this monster, but Scully and Mulder managed to escape it somehow. And it's like, you know, and every kid at this school is, like, special and whatever. But then, you know, someone told me one day, they were like, but if they weren't, then, like, they wouldn't have a story here. Like, this is exclusive to them. Like, this is their story. Like, if they, if the same things happen to them that happen to everybody else, like, why would that be interesting? And I was like, okay, that's fair. Like, mm-hmm. all right, gifted kids at magic school. Like, I can get behind that. So. yeah. And I do think that most of the time gifted kids at magic school are um, like designed that way to catch the attention of the adults who are involved in some political thing that the author wants to make a statement about. Yeah. So it's just a kind of tropey fantasy way of, of doing some kind of social experiment. I don't know. I mean, like there's a reason it's a trope. There's a reason every trope is a trope. <laughs> I kind of feel bad because anyone who wants to do it, it's immediately compared to Harry Potter. Oh, like, yeah. You can't get out from under that, like no matter what you do. Um, but so those were our awesome new books. Like those are some serious, like awesome. I'm really happy with what we picked. So, but I do want to, oh, I also want to say though, this day, Jan, uh, January, I don't know what day it is, February 6th, the new releases are amazing. There are like a million more that I will cover in the newsletter because wow, it's such a great day for new releases. Um, so, but those were our new books. What are you going to read next? 
Um, I just started Children of Blood and Bone, um, which is by Tomi Adeyemi, and it's the first book in the Legacy of Arisha series. It's this giant clunker. Have you? Did you get the galley for this? It's like it's so big. I had no <laughs> idea it was going to be that big. I know it's like five or six hundred <laughs> pages. It's so huge. Um, but this is a new YA fantasy series. Um, I don't. Which I've just started it, so I don't even. I don't know anything about it except when I got it in the mail. It has a black girl on the cover with huge white hair. And I thought that that was fascinating. And she's magical. Well, she's not magical in this universe. She is born to a people who are supposed to be magical, but um, the king of this empire destroyed a bunch of artifacts and murdered a bunch of people who had magical abilities in this one night. And it was called the raid. And ever since then, no one has been able to exhibit any magical powers. And that's as far as I've gotten, like very background level. But she has a staff. She fights people. So far, so good. I like a magical girl with a staff. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> um, I just got a galley of Bingo Love, O G N, or Bingo Love. It's like I keep seeing it different places. I don't know what the O G N stands for. Original graphic novel? Is it a graphic novel? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Um, it's about two women who meet and fall in love in the '60s, but their families keep them apart, and so they end up getting married to men. And now, like 40 years later. They meet again in a bingo hall at church and fall back in love, which is amazing. Um, so, but it's it's a graphic novel. So, yeah, I had I had no idea. I've never seen that like after a graphic novel before. I'm like, what is OGN? Like, what is that? Um, but then I'm gonna read the Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton because I've heard so much about this, and it's. It's like about, it's like a murder mystery almost. It made me think of like Clue when I was reading the <laughs> description. Um, and she like, it's like a woman who's murdered and there are eight days and eight witnesses. It takes place over eight days and there's like eight witnesses. And I don't know, it's it's something, it just sounds awesome. So yeah, so that that's it. Unless you have anything you want to add. like Nah, man. No. All right. Well <laughs> then, that is all for today. Thank you again to our sponsors, Owlcrate and F You Very Much by Danny Wallace. I had to add his, end at the, his name at the end there, or else it sounds like I was saying that too, Owlcrate. Um, we'll have links to both of those in the show notes. If you want to reach us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, you can find us online. I am Miss Liberty. Amanda is I'm Amanda Nelson. And. You can, if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today and more books out today, like, trust me, there are so many good new releases coming out today. I, I had the worst time picking today. Um, we don't have the time because Amanda's, she's probably had her fill of me. Um, but, <laughs> but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. So in the meantime, happy reading. Happy reading.